Hello. We're going to talk about hindsight. Early childhood. What I wish I knew back when this picture was taken. This picture that always brings me to my knees. See those bright shiny eyes? And see all that goo there, all that spaghetti and whatever else he's eaten. There's a Cheerio in there too, three or four. Oh yeah, back before all the bad stuff started happening. Or maybe it was already happening and it just hadn't, hadn't been unmasked yet, right? But specifically, John was born early, so we'll talk about that. And he had a, not a perfect 10 on the APGAR. I think he was 9. So there was an indicator. Um, I was also going through a really bad marriage. Not that that's evident in his cells, but that surely contributed to some of the factors of me being so distracted in those early years. You know, you go back and uh, you look at pictures of early childhood and you wonder, what did I miss, right? What did I miss before intervention started? Before there was a diagnosis, well, could I go back and do it over again? Could I, you know, intervene sooner? What would I do differently? So, but without digging a hole for myself, that's not my purpose tonight. I just want to kind of step back, talk about uh, hindsight, um, talk about um, it for all of you who are sitting around pregnant <laughs> or your baby's just been born, just something to think about. Oh, things I sure wish somebody had told me back in the day. Okay. Um, I'm dig digging up some archived photographs and posts um, and, and doing some research because I'm going to, I'm working on a project. And so I'm kind of in old Lang Syne mode right now. Okay. So I have admitted already that um, I, John was born early. I had the evidence of preeclampsia coming, uh, not bed rest, bed rest, but I think he came out at 36, 37 weeks, so definitely three weeks early before his immune system really had started to establish itself. So um, I'm sharing with you what I have learned over the years from doctors, um, that the, the child's immune system, their production of their own immunoglobins, immunoglobins A, G, M, and eventually E, they don't begin until about 36 weeks. So it's, it's until that time that the child's just proverbial parasite on the, the immune system of the mother. But at 36 weeks, then it starts to break away and starts to set up its own set of soldiers to fight off the bad guys. Um, so John was delivered pretty early. He didn't, did not have much of a fighting chance. And of course, I did the full everything of all the, the shots. I never saw a specific event. Um, our specific event was an anaphylactic reaction to fire ants at age 21 months. And I did not see a, a, um, an, a, an abrupt change in his behavior. It was more just a, a greater awareness and then the slow kind of falling asleep, the slow starting to regress. And his body was not making human growth hormone. We know that from our spectrocell testing. We know by spectrocell testing that he was not producing glutathione. He was the lowest they had ever tested. That's a number one neurotransmitter. Okay, so anyway, he also was slow to benchmarks, even coming out early, um, slow to walk, 
Um, I don't remember him skipping any developmental steps, according to the AMA, the, the handbook, but um, or American um, Association of Pediatric APA. A, anyway, I said AMA, so let's leave that uh, to the doctor book. <laughs> um, but he was slow to walk, uh, slow to balance. I remember that we bought some squeaky shoes to try to get him motivated. Um, uh, there was the Apgar, uh, some Bellarubin, some yellowing, some jaundice at birth. And eventually um, he came out of it. Um, I nursed him for a full seven to eight months until he bit me the second time. So to it was 100% nursing, and I was very careful about my diet, very careful about um, uh, all the prenatals, very careful about anything I had ingested, paying attention to my immune system. Uh, of course, now I would be ultra uber careful, and I would understand. Now I would know why when I put him on a changing table, he would flail around. Or even when I laid him down on the ground to try to change his diaper, he, he was uncomfortable in his own skin. Um, I, I took a picture of him today as he was sitting in the car doing some things. And I noticed that his spine was a little bit more, he wasn't so rigid upright. And it reminded me back in the early days that John would just have such a rigid backbone, torso, like he was just tense all the time. And so John now, at age 13 and a half, is far more comfortable in his own skin. But it's been a long adventure of just 24-7 interventions. And that's what I'm trying to archive through all these years and all these platforms to just leave a, a nice wide trail of breadcrumbs for uh, y'all to decide if it's useful to you or not. So, um, and also at the time that he was born, just a few months into his birth, I had uh, taken, I was trying to wrap up my master's online through Texas A&M. Hurricane Ike came through the woodlands and the, the, eye of the, the eye of Hurricane Ike came through our hometown and it just uprooted. Uh, we had a tree that was right by something in the backyard and it when it went upside down, it brought up all the utilities with it. And so eventually after four weeks when the power was and gas and electricity was restored to the street that we lived on, we still didn't have any utilities ourselves because it was everything was up in the air. So the roots of the tree brought everything up and it was just too big of a scope. And all of the big machines were busy elsewhere on bigger projects. So um, we actually had a a company that uh, at the time um, my husband and I were still married. Uh, he has now recently passed and we've been divorced forever. But at the time he, it was a business connection he had. And so they came out and they brought us a, not this little generator, like we already had a little generator, right? Like a gallon at a time fuel, one that stunk and made a lot of terrible noise and the exhaust was, there's just no way to keep it out of the house. But this was a big generator, like a diesel, like we had to bring in, I mean, I tried to empty a five-gallon can into it, and all I ended up with was diesel all over my body. I re remember sitting up there on top of it, you know, thinking, what in the heck am I doing? I'm trying to dump five gallons of diesel fuel into this. Anyway, it's it's one of those things you had to be there. Um, so uh, we didn't have power. I was taking a couple of programming classes. We were also doing home remodeling at the time, and we were taking out a whole, uh, several rooms of ceramic tile. I mean, none of these events were planned to, to coincide with each other. It just happened to be the unlucky cards. 
And so the, there was dust everywhere in the house and the generator was running outside. We, we were there, we were with the generator longer than any of our neighbors were. It was a really difficult semester. How did I know that JavaScript was going to be such a pain in the tokus? Um, and there was another uh, two programming classes with no power. And I'm trying to rub two sticks together to get my phone to be good enough for the, um, the online classes. So during all of this is when John really started his regression. And so for some reason, we found ourselves in with the ear, nose and throat doc. And uh, bless her heart, she looked right at me and she said, you need to look up ASD. And of course, I had no idea what that was. I mean, I had seen the Tommy Hilfinger commercials, but, you know, you never think that's going to be you. And so I spent about 10 seconds wondering what it was. And that was as long as my state of denial. It was just 24-7 on it since then almost sleepwalking, like, what is this? And how can this be happening? And what do I need to do? And how do I find out information? And who can I just, who can I do a mind dump with so I can catch up? So um, anyway, uh, but on the other hand, just for a case of argument, look at those shiny eyes, right? That's, we would say that's joint attention. Now, it could be that he was so comfortable with his family and not so social with other people but I was kind of lost. I didn't see all of that happening, so I, I can't really remember. Um, we were taught now to look for joint attention. Um, we're taught now that if uh, an occupational therapist or a doctor or a medical professional or a really smart parent who's got their, who's got their, their uh, uh, heads up on it can, can pay attention to how the baby rolls from a sensory integration standpoint, from a primitive reflex uh, um, becoming more uh, sophisticated. All those things now that I know and talk about, um, back then I, I just wasn't onto it, okay? But I know now, looking back, a lot of what his body was telling me. Um, and not so much the eating, um, but, and here you see from this picture, it looks like he's just a happy kid. I do remember having him in the stroller going into Walmart and giving him pieces of apple. And at the time, he was having a little bit, but not so much of it. But all of the feeding of the, you know, pop the top on the Gerber stuff, all that goop that we, the pureed stuff that you buy, he was fine with it, you know, shoveling it in like crazy. So um, I just never saw it coming until age two. Again, though, I have to plead stupidity on being so distracted by things. Um, and then once I saw that anaphylactic reaction, I, I didn't know what it was. And then I, I, I then you, then it becomes ingrained. It's, it's like um, burnt onto your memory. And in within a short period of time, I saw a friend's, another family's daughter go through an anaphylactic reaction. And I could, I could see it coming. And I said, that's what that is. You need to get some Benadryl. You need to get to the emergency room as soon as possible. And ironically, that little girl's anaphylactic reaction was caused by fire ants also. So evidently that formic acid is just, does a terrible thing to the antibodies or just unlucky system, right? So it's, it's almost like the, the immune system is predestined if it's going to be, have a, you know, 
uh, a fight with um, with some foreign substance, you're not going to know it the first exposure. It's going to be the second exposure. The first exposure, the, the the system arms for war, but they don't give you any indication. So you think, oh, my kid got bit by a bunch of fire ants. No big deal. Okay, fine. We're in the clear. But oh, dear God, the second time it's going to be you know, what our anaphylactic, what his anaphylactic reaction looked like was the rash on the skin and then swelling. So you couldn't even tell it was him. Um, the, um, the, the rash everywhere. Um, and eventually just the digestive system. I mean, I had a purse full of his vomit. By this time, one of our neighbors who was, uh, was a nurse had said, Hey, that's an anaphylactic reaction. Get yourself some Benadryl and get onto the ER ASAP. So we were driving like crazy people, just throwing the kid in the car with the, uh, um, Saxton was a young child at the time going with us, I think. I think we all four went, yeah. And driving like maniacs, right, to get to the ER. And and I remember holding him and just praying and so please don't, dear God, don't let him die. So his second anaphylactic reaction to fire ants, we were aware, we were carrying EpiPens, we were in red alert. And so it was not as severe. Um, we found a, uh, a doctor, an immun immunologist that was a former pediatrician, actually came to us via the, um, the uh, uh, spectrocell doctor that we had used. They kind of were, we got into them because of each other. Those, they were our first biomedical doctors, uh, Dr. Stephen Miles and Dr. Ron Grabowski. God loved them both. And um, so one led to the other, and then they were our first two biomedical doctors, and then all of a sudden, we had fallen into this hole of, of a, a, a fragile, medically fragile child. And a kid in Texas that's a little boy, a baby, that you're trying to get out and have them do healthy playing things, but fire ants are everywhere, pervasive, and it's going to kill the kid. So the irony is that then we had to, to recalibrate his immune system rather than, rather than just carry an EpiPen forever. Um, the doctor had just set, established a protocol with uh, um, Fort Hood and the United States Army. So they had a whole system of, of um, shots. So John goes in for, on top of all of the up to and including age two and the double flu shot, geez, um, on this, this impaired immune system. We know that. Um, the um, uh, monthly vaccine, Oh, fire ants, you know, formic acid. It's kind of like you, th you throw them in a blender, kind of, and you get the, the whole, um, you can't really extract it. You just, I know it's crude, but that's how I explained it. Kind of was explained to me, as I recall. Just kind of throw the whole thing in the blender, and, and, and that's, that's how you get your, you start to build your antibodies. You know, the, um, the old, in the old days, it's you would take a little bit of arsenic and then you'd take a little bit more and then a little bit more and a little bit more with the intention that eventually you, you would have enough antibodies to that particular poison that your body would be immune to it. And that's essentially how these shots worked. So for years, I would wait until he was as healthy as possible. Once a month, we go in for a, another shot of uh, fire ant and um, to help his system recalibrate. And then the, the day came where he got bit and there was no more anaphylactic reaction. But the damage had been done. His body had stopped producing human growth hormone. His, his toes were up, piled up on top of each other. By then we had gotten connected to Dr. Kendall Stewart and as, as another biomedical. And uh, we were um, then working on um, diets and interventions and 
uh, OT and clinical, and oh, it goes on and on. But the, the point of discussion tonight is just hindsight, right? Looking back on this photograph, what would I have done differently? What would I tell you all to consider in the very, very early childhood um, times? So you do want to pay attention to the joint communication. Your child may be so comfortable with the family that you don't see it because you're with it every day. And the, the small changes of regression, which basically just means the body's not producing any more human growth hormone. So instead of going forward, the body is going to grow backward. And that can be tested by blood, uh, which is often a hard thing to drag out of a kid. Uh, I don't know how John would feel about a, a blood sample now. Um, uh, I know he took some shots to get his teeth pulled to, in prep for braces, but that wasn't an extraction of blood. So the last time they actually tried to do a draw on him to test, I had to flop on him. It was brutal. There were four of us adults trying to hold him down. And then he also would, um, uh, um, he would build um, the serum really fast. And so you couldn't centrifuge the blood quickly enough. So it always came out as a bad sample. So it was a perfect storm of, of medical trouble. And to look at that kid there, right, that, that little chubby little face, you just don't think of it as a time bomb lurking, uh, looking, lurking and looking right at you. So anyway, if your child is coming out early, pay attention to the immune system. Um, if there's a way to, and I, I tell this to, to pregnant families, if I see them and if they're open to it, I say, listen, just spread that shot schedule out. Just don't go in if the kid's sick, spread it out. Give them, until you really know what their antibodies are and how well their red cells and white car, white blood cells and the, how the soldiers are lined up for war. I said, take your time. You know, there's plenty of time to get those shots. Um, that may not, I, I don't know, it's a real controversy right now, right? Um, I'm I'm not going to get into vaccines, but I will talk about John's immune system all day long. And um, there's a thing called titers that you can eventually do. Um, we live in the state of Texas, so we can waive his uh, vaccinations for school, which we did starting age two, uh, not uh, after age two. So he had everything up to it, including age two, and then a double wacko on the, the flu shot. And then I started getting all this information. It's like, wait a minute, we got an immune system massive failure here. So we just need to recalibrate, figure out what's going on. Okay, so anyway, those are things to look at. If your child comes out early, pay attention to the immune system. If they have developmental delay and they're not hitting benchmark, don't let people tell you that, oh, they'll catch up. If their language doesn't keep up, I think by age two, they were supposed to have a, a expressive language vocabulary of 50, 50, 50 words or so with the pediatrician. John did not. And that brought at age two um, ECI into our lives. And there was a real shame, a head game for mom of having a social worker in the house. But hey, now that's nothing compared to everything that we've been doing since then, since age two. Um, but but they, they, they're they there to help you, so please don't be shamed about that. It's, it's not that you've let your kid down or something. It, it's just that we have a medical situation here where there is a war going on inside, and you could have the, the bad guys hiding in the ears. You could have, and in this case, I'm saying virus, uh, and there's a lot 
more we could talk about. This is just a short version of, of immune system stuff. Um, I, I, I like to talk and share all that I've learned from our biomedical doctors over the years about methylation and detoxing and, and where the, um, the bad cells hide and the B cells and the C cells and the water and the um, swelling and the inflammation. The dietary, the autophagy, all that stuff is very relevant. You can look it up. It, it, maybe on a night that you have insomnia <laughs> uh, to learn more about it. I'll put those keywords um, here in the in the podcast notes. So um, if your child is uh, um, uh, delayed for some reason, pay attention. Don't don't just neglect that. If they have older siblings. Don't let the older siblings do all the talking for that kid. Make them talk or express or have joint attention themselves. Let them be responsible. Don't let them be carried along, you know, like a leaf in the in the water so that uh, they don't have to do anything. Make them carry their weight too. They may be actually developmentally ahead because they're trying to match their older siblings or match the kids that they're playing with. Um, somehow I just missed all that, you know, and I have this... Um, this photograph on my, uh, when I open up my desk, one of the inside cabinet doors, and I have it there. And I, I don't use it to pull my fingernails off, but um, it's just that present, ever-present reminder of, oh my God, that's how my kid used to be, and then something happened. And a thousand somethings, I mean, for all of us that are in interventions and we are dealing with all the educational inefficiencies and all of the midline crossovers and executive functioning and the neural pathways, all these things that we've been talking about together. It's not just one thing. It's not like you can just take a magic pill and all of a sudden your kid is neurotypical. It's a different wiring. It's a physical, um, there, it could be biofilms in there. It could be holes in the stomach. It could be a, a inefficient methylation system. The, the, the learning machine, the engine of the car has got some troubles and it's just not evident yet unless you're paying attention. So I guess I'm begging you to pay attention. Don't let, don't listen to the people that say, oh, they'll catch up or don't worry about it. The hell with that. Worry about it, okay? You can you can later on quit worrying, but but don't wait. Don't wait until they're four or five or six and they're entering the public school system and they still don't have expressive language and their their behavior is out of synchronization with their peers and they're not keeping up and they're not talking to you and they don't have joint attention. They're not interested in the same things that you are. Um, if their oral uh, habits, their foods, oral motor um, is, is different, is off. Um, it could be a picky eater, but that doesn't mean that they're not neurally typical. It's just, it's just things to pay attention to. So you've got a detective job there on your hands, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, neighbors and friends, if you, if you love your, your family and your neighbors, and you notice that that child is not keeping up with the other kids, the ultimate litmus test. If that child is not matching peers, then please, dear God, say something to the family. And it doesn't have to be heartbreaking. When I do early childhood conferences and I'm talking to all these teachers of early childhood you know, nurseries, they're church schools, so they're not in the public school system. They're twos, threes, fours, fives. And, I, and they have limited power. Uh, even their director has limited power. They're not a, a, a doctor that's going to diagnose. 
Now, some therapists might be able to diagnose, but you're not trying to, you're not, the point isn't to scare the family with a, a diagnosis that may not be exactly right. We just want to intervene. We just want to test the kiddo. Are they keeping up with peers? Do we, what do we need to do to help that child keep moving forward? All right. Because it's not really the diagnosis that matters. There's, there's three kinds of diagnosis, diagnoses, right? Medical diagnoses that you need for insurance assuming there's still insurance in the future when you're listening to this. There's an educational diagnosis that's typically used within the public school system and perhaps within the private school, but for sure in the public school system, especially if you have to fight the ARD, uh, ARD, the IEP process, and they will want to do that diagnosis themselves. So if you pay your good money for someone on the outside and then you take that diagnosis into the, uh, to the school system, don't be surprised if they say, I'm sorry, that's of no validity to us. We need to have our own experts look at it. And then the third kind of diagnosis I like to say is there's that social diagnosis. There's the let's go to Target, let's go to worship, let's go to Walmart, let's go shopping, let's go to the grocery store, let's go to the restaurants, let's talk to the family. What is it that, what are the words that you can share if you need to, to the bossy pants, people that are minding your business, um, or that you just need to know from within the family, or you just want some general expectations of how that child might behave in certain circumstances. So I call that the just a social diagnosis. It's not really used with a school system, nor is it used to help get your hospital bills or your therapy bills paid, um, it, but it, it can be really useful. So don't get hung up on the diagnosis though, okay? What we really wanna do is love that kid do you take, remember the thing about half a heart and the other half of the heart? You take all of your everything, your resources, your love, your acceptance, your energy, your conversation, your, your smiles, your love, your peace. You take half of that and you, do, and you do everything possible to help your child with interventions. You take the other half of every single thing you've got and you love them just like they are. And my point in trying to share so much of John's life well, number one, I can. We have the tools, so I'm going to. The main reason, though, is that what if you can prioritize your interventions faster because of something that I helped you with? Just like I was frantic to find out everything I could from the people that walked ahead of me. Um, I'm always talking to parents of kids older than mine. What have you been through? What can I learn from you? Who did you go to for that? How did that work? What happened when that didn't work? Um, and, and, and at the same time, every one of our kids are wired uniquely, right? So my kid is not gonna match your kid. I might be an expert in my kid, but you are an expert in your child. So giving advice to each other doesn't, doesn't carry much water. Giving judgment to each other, a lousy, lousy, lousy. But if we share interventions to help our children try to catch up on whatever they might need help with that's not naturally occurring. So remember Latin uh, intervention is intervene, which means to change something into a accidental into something purposeful. So that's why interventions are so fabulous. And we can use daily free stuff that's happening anyway with a mindfulness, with a purposefulness of we need to help our child go in a 
in the right direction, not just in the accidental direction that they are headed, the wrong direction, toward the edge of the cliff. That, that neural pathway that becomes a concrete freeway to nowhere, right? So that's why we intervene. That's why we help them. That's why we redirect them. That's why we are consistent and we have boundaries and we, are, um, we hold those boundaries and we help our kids build those neural pathways. If my kid is doing something that's not going to serve him as an adult, you can bet <laughs> I'm going to be stopping him and we're going to talk, we're going to redo it. However, whatever we have to do and with a variety of approaches. And those are part of the things that I'm trying to share with people too, because of any day or any hour or any, or any child, there will be variances and we respect those variances. Their motivations will vary. What they love will vary. We want to do everything we can to let them choose their own joy and love and journey and their own purpose. So our purpose is to help them find your purpose. It, it reminds me of a great line from this Karate Kid remake, the Jackie Chan version. And I know I've mentioned it a number of times. It's just the best movie ever. And there's a scene in there where uh, he, uh, the, the teacher gets the, stu the students yakking on about something that they want. And uh, he, they're talking about focus. And all of a sudden, the kid's suspended over water and the teacher's saying, your focus needs more focus. And it's, it's precious. I don't do Jackie Chan very well. Uh, but um, so our, 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 our kids, if their focus is incorrect, they, we need to help them redirect. Okay, And that's what interventions are. And those should be joyful, small, ever smaller prompts. But... We have to teach them. And if they are not accidentally learning by osmosis, by, by social modeling, then we have to kind of amp up the volume on the modeling. And today was a great example. John was a lucky kid. Even with this self-isolation, the COVID-19 thing that's going on, the, the self-quarantine, we have a, 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 a small village. And uh, John had two other children, two neurotypical kids his own age, one boy, one girl. And he got to spend time swimming with each one of them and, and playing and talking and socializing. And because of them, he raised his game. I could almost cry. Um, because he saw them and he wanted to show off for them. I saw him do things that I cannot make him do. But he's doing it because of other kids. And he sees them and thinks, well, I should probably be doing that. And there's, there's 10 things I saw him specifically do new today. 10 new things that a, a kid, a neurotypical kid would do. And he's modeling. So get him around other kids. And... Um, whatever that takes, uh, and don't overpraise. I don't get him. I don't really get anywhere with him by overpraising. I might joke and make a tiny little thing about some jokes or hey, that was awesome or a small little fist bump or something like that. But not to make a big old parade about it, right? Because then that will distract him from what his brain is trying to do, which is trying new things constantly and see which resonates the best with him that matches the peers. So. Anyway, um, I don't know if I hope I'm hoping that some of this will be useful. I do not mean it in any way as a downer, uh, but oh dear God, hindsight. So um, anyway, we will talk again soon. Thank you for your time. Um, pay attention to little things. Uh, it's uh, the big things are built on little things. Um, absolutely. Okay, peace be with you.